Lord, you're everywhere, and it is beneath your eyes that all lives are lived. Please grant that all my purposes and actions today may be honorable and gracious. May I be just and true in all my dealings. May no mean or unworthy thought have a moment's place in my mind. May my motives be transparent to all. May my word be my bond. May I not take unfair advantage of anyone. May I be kind in my judgment of others. May I be unbiased in my opinions. May I be loyal to my friends and generous to my opponents. May I face adversity with courage. May I not ask or expect too much for myself. Yet, Lord, do not rest, let me rest content with an ideal of humanity that is less than what was shown to us in Jesus. Give me the mind of Christ. May I not rest until I am like him in all his fullness. May I listen to Jesus' question, what are you doing more than others? And so may the three Christian graces of faith, hope, and love be more and more formed within me until all I do and say brings honor to Jesus and his gospel. Amen. That's the morning reading from the 11th day of A Diary of Private Prayer and um, Our sermon series on prayer gets its cue from Bailey in those devotionals. And if you haven't purchased one, there's half dozen of them left out on the information counter and just $10, you can do that. When we consider our prayers, Oswald Chambers asks us this question. Do my prayers sound as if I am one of God's customers rather than one of God's children? Who is God? Who's God to me? Who am I? Who am I in relation to Him? Do I know who I am? Do I really even care who I am? In the midst of everything that I call my life, do I take time to pray? How often do I pray? What do I pray about? How intimately do I pray? God desires a love relationship with each and every one of us that is real and personal And He gives us His Word to tell us His heart. But He gives us prayer as a way that we can speak to Him with words we know to have our minds filled with the intentions of His heart and His wisdom that we don't yet know because He loves us. He sent His Son to die and to redeem us. He sends us the Holy Spirit to guide us and teach us. And He gives us the Bible to inform us and change us and inhabit us. And so here we are today, the second sermon in our series on private prayer. And my sermon today is titled simply for grace. And there's two parts to God's grace that we're praying for today that I want us to consider. And the one is the grace I need in forgiveness from my sins. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And we need God's grace to forgive us. The second half of our sermon today is God's grace in my relationship with others, overcoming my natural selfishness, the very thing that Bailey talked about in that paragraph I read from this morning's reading, day 11, morning. Both of these things, however, are rooted in humility. 
we've got to start from a humble posture that realizes we're not all that. And that we do struggle with sin and we're no better than the next guy. And matter of fact, God's not comparing us to the next guy. God's comparing us to His perfect, righteous standard. And none of us measure up to that. And all of us need Jesus as our Savior. So from that humble posture, we begin. And that humble posture that causes us to seek God's grace. We're going to turn to Psalm 32 to start with today and Psalm 25 thereafter. We're not going to read those yet, but go to our Scripture memory verse of the month. That Scripture memory verse of the month is on the screen there for you, and let's read it together. Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 75, 25, and 26. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we've got to admit that most of our life we go through life and we don't consider a psalm like that. It's not until things get difficult that we turn to you. But if we're honest, we'd admit that that's unfortunate. Because when we have spent time with you, when we do pray regularly, when we do read your word regularly, when we practice other spiritual disciplines, we feel your presence within us. And not only is it a feeling, but we know that you are present within us, filling us with your Holy Spirit to overflowing, guiding us, teaching us, encouraging us, giving us faith. So God, our Father, we come to you today with this idea of prayer on our minds and the need for our humility to appeal to your grace to change our hearts that we might be more like Jesus because we need you. You are our portion. You are our strength. And it's not just when we feel like our flesh and our hearts fail, but every day. So God, our Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus and all of us said, amen. So as I said, there's two parts to today's sermon. Now, the first starts with Psalm 32. And if you haven't turned there already, turn with me to Psalm 32. I've preached Psalm 32 before. You've heard it and we're going to read it here in just a moment. But our first point on our outline is this, that we're seeking God's grace For my sin against him. That we start in our humility, that posture of humility, seeking God's grace for my sin against him. Yes, I know we sin against other people, but our sin against others are ultimately a sin against God because he made others in his image. So any sin is a sin against God. And so we need to exercise confession and repentance. We know that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We know that the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we get there? We confess our sins and we repent and turn from our sins. A secret prayer life will prevent secret sin. Let me say that again. A secret prayer life will prevent secret sin. Private prayer prevents private sin. It doesn't altogether overrule it. You can still sin even if you're in the midst of what would be a healthy prayer life for most of us. 
yet it helps prevent it. Not unlike a vaccine or inoculation, not unlike medicine that we take to help our bodies do something that they're not doing on their own. Our prayer life helps us spiritually to be healthy, to be as God intends. So now we turn to verse 32 and let me read it for us or Psalm 32, excuse me, and I'll read it in its entirety. It says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and a bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. David writes this psalm, pouring out his heart to God, a psalm of confession, a psalm of repentance, a psalm that starts with humility, realizing that he needs what I'm saying is a right view of God. We talk about this, we talk about a right view of God, and we'll talk in a few moments about a right view of me. Look at where David starts in Psalm 32, verse 1. He says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. This right view of God is that God forgives. Verse 5, he says, then I acknowledged my sin and didn't cover it up. But I said, I'll confess. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. God forgives. Verse 6 and 7. He said, let everyone who's godly pray while you be found. He said, you're my hiding place. You'll protect me and you'll surround me with songs of deliverance. What a beautiful picture. I don't know if you like music. I like music. I like to listen to all kinds of music. But there's something about the hymns of our faith and the modern songs we sing in church and those we sing when we gather together that remind us and speak to our hearts through the notes that are played and that are sung of God's deliverance for us, His love for us, His care for us. God protects us. God delivers us. We think about who God is By this scripture, we see that God is forgiving, God is protecting, God is delivering, that God is with us. Now, we've got to ask that second question, and that's a right view of me. So what does Psalm 32 teach us about a right view of God? It teaches us who He is and protecting and delivering and forgiving. But what about who I am? Verses 1 and 2 remind us that I am a sinner, 
And that when I'm silent, I waste away and I'm weakened. Verse 5 again, that I've got to acknowledge my sins. I've got to confess them. That I must confess that part of who I am as sinful and fallen and broken means that I've got to confess. A right view of me that says humbly that I'm a sinner takes the next step and say there is a remedy for my sin. And that's nothing I can do on my own. It's only by God's grace and only through Jesus can I be forgiven. Verses 8 and 9. The psalmist David changes his direction. Verses 1 through 7, he's praying to God. Now, verse 8 and 9, he is talking to those that are listening to him as he's reciting his poem or singing his song in a gathered worship. And he says, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. He's saying, I've failed, I've sinned, but I've seen God's forgiveness. I've known God's redemption, and I'm going to share that with you. He says, I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like a mule or a horse which have no understanding. They need a bit or a bridle. And he reminds many are the woes of the wicked. But God's unfailing love, he says, surrounds the man who trusts in him. What we learn there is that I can be stubborn. I don't know about you. But I'm pretty good at doing my own thing. I'm pretty good at being selfish. I'm pretty good at being sinful. It comes natural. That's my flesh. But that's if I confess. But what I need to realize is that there's a God who will forgive. If I confess. If I ask. So that leads us to our summary there. That my sin needs God's forgiveness. My sin needs God's grace for forgiveness. I can't forgive myself. I can't take care of my sin on my own other than appealing to God, confessing to Him and saying, yes, what you call sin is sin. And His forgiveness that removes my sin. Thanks be to God for His forgiveness that removes my sin. Without God's forgiveness, I'd still be in sin. Without God's forgiveness, I'd still be destined for hell. But God's forgiveness removes my sin. We move along from Psalm 32 and this idea of seeking God's grace for my sin to our second major point on your outline, and that's seeking God's grace for my selfishness with others. I hope you don't feel like these two ideas are disjointed. I feel like they're one and the same. As I studied this week and as I had read through Bailey's private prayer before and read through these prayers again this week, both morning and evening. I was struck by the fact that I need God's grace to forgive me of my sin. But then there's also this sin that I do all the time and it's selfishness. I can be pretty opinionated. I can be pretty judgy or judgmental. I have a way that I do things and it's the right way, right? Anybody else? Your way is the right way. Everybody else is the wrong way. Am I the only one? And I need God's grace to deal with my selfishness. That next point there says exercising compassion and understanding. My family kindly reminds me of this, sometimes not so kindly if I need them to be not so kind. And if I've been forceful in my judgment of them, sometimes they need to be forceful in their response to me to remind me that I need to be more compassionate and more understanding. I need to Give grace to others like I've received grace from God. 
just as the Bible says that I should forgive as I've been forgiven, I need to exercise grace as I've had grace exercised towards me. I've got to exercise compassion and understanding. We see that in Psalm 25. You see that in so many Psalms, but I wasn't going to have you dancing all over your Bibles. I want to just read Psalm 25 for you in part. It's a longer Psalm, but listen to what David says and think about here his own sin, but also his view of others and what he's asking God to do in his heart. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul and I trust in you, O my God. He says in verse 2, do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. He's worried about what other people are going to think about him and do to him. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. You see what David's doing here. He's saying, God, I'm worried about what all these people are going to say about me, do towards me. But I realize I can't do anything about it. You've got to do it. God, keep me from my selfishness. God, help me depend on you. Verse 4, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my hope all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. He, therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. The psalm goes on, and I won't read any further uh, for us, but look at those things you see there about a right view of God. What does Psalm 25 teach us about a right view of God? Well, I think even in verse 1 of Psalm 25, when he says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, and in you I trust, O my God. God is our God. The Lord is my God. The first thing it teaches us is that God loves us. As you go on through verse 2 and verse 3 there, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. What he's saying is that God is trustworthy, that we can trust God. He won't let us down. He's going to guard us from the negative consequences that can happen in the judgments of others. Even though others may judge, we know the reality of God's view of us. So it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of us. You see how this is combating our natural selfishness? Because it's our faith and our dependence on God who loves us, not our worry or our care about others who may say things against us. Verses 4 and 5 shows us that God guides us. Show me your ways. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth. He says, my hope is in you. We have a God who loves us, a God who is trustworthy, a God who guides us. That's our right view of God from Psalm 25, and it's repeated in other verses there. But let's look at a right view of me from Psalm 25. That's in those same verses, verses two and three. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who's hoping you will ever be put to shame. 
the right view of me needs to start with that I have a hope in God. That my hope's not in myself, it's not in my own mind, it's not in my own strength, it's not in my own abilities, it's not in my charisma or personality, not in my job, not in my checkbook, not in my friends, not in my family. All those things the world builds its hope on, but all those things are shaky and all those things can fail you. Your health can change, your job can change, the economy can change, your family can change, relationships can be broken with people here on earth, but our God is sovereign, and He is unchanging, and He is faithful, and He is loving. And just as we talked about, He loves you, He's trustworthy, He guides you. Your hope should be in Him. Verse 4 and 5, when He says, show me your ways, teach me your paths, guide me, He's saying that I need God's direction. Again, it's a humble posture. It's the opposite of selfishness. It's saying, I need you, God. I can't do it on my own. In verse 9, when David says, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. And then he says, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. He's saying, I'm selfish. I'm sinful. But I need you, God. I need you to guide me. I need you to help me keep the demands of your covenant. Keep your law. Be obedient to what I know from your word. If you read on through Psalm 25, and you could do that on your own this afternoon, you'll see these themes that talk to us about a right view of God and a right view of us. Repeated again and again, that we need His hope, that we need His direction to combat our selfishness because He will forgive and He will guide. I'm naturally selfish. I need God's grace to forgive my sins, a right relationship with others. I need God's grace to have a right heart to deal with them. Which leads to our summary points there. My selfishness needs God's grace for humility. It's kind of a chicken and an egg thing. I need to be humble in order to ask God's help with my selfishness. But as I'm, selfish, as I'm unselfish, then I can be more humble. And it's a wonderful thing that God does in our hearts. Your final point on your outline there is that humility overcomes selfishness. When I humble myself before God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I need your salvation. I need your grace that way. I need you to save me as I continue to sin through life to make me more like Jesus, that I must decrease and he must increase. But then you also say, as a part of that, God, I need your grace because I'm naturally still selfish and I judge others too critically. I need understanding. I need compassion. I need a heart of love for others. Craig Groeschel once asked or said, excuse me, what you pray for reflects what you believe about God. What you pray for reflects what you believe about God. Are you praying 
that he'd give you his grace? Are you praying that you'd be humble before him? Are you praying that you'd be less selfish, more compassionate and understanding of others as your heart has been changed because you come humbly before him that he might give his grace to you? Let's pray together. God, our Father, we come before you this morning with the words of these psalms in our minds that call us to humility before you. That point us to the fact that we are naturally sinful and selfish. We need your grace to forgive our sins. We need your grace to be more forgiving and humble towards others. So God, we come before you this morning. with this prayer for humility in our minds. And as we have in our hands or we have sitting nearby us these elements, the bread and the juice, they remind us of Jesus' sacrifice for us. We come before you with that humility, God, and we ask if there's anything that we need to confess before you today that would keep us from being worthy to receive this Lord's Supper. That right now, your spirit would tell us, right now, without delay, we confess it. And we'd know your forgiveness. We'd know your grace. We'd know the joy and love that comes from that. And Father, if there's any here that has never trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, that they would make that decision today. They would admit that they're a sinner. They'd believe that Jesus is your son. They would confess Jesus as their Savior and Lord. There's no sin too great that you can't forgive. You are God. And we come before you as our loving Father. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.